This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Mattress Firm's Labor Day sale ends Monday. Get a king mattress for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin for a savings of up to $600. Plus, get a free adjustable base when you spend just $4.99. And Friday through Monday, get a Beautyrest Queen mattress for just $99. Visit mattressfirm.com or a store near you for the best deal of the season. Only at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. $99 mattress offer available in-store only at the Boss Supplies last. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. You are listening to On the Daily, the RotoViz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by RotoViz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt F. the Oracle of the Action Network and RotoViz. Welcome to the March 6th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of RotoViz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at RotoDoc. Nick, how's it going? Matt, I am doing very well. Um, we now have three races under our belt and on uh, three, I wouldn't say very different tracks, obviously, because Atlanta and Las Vegas are both mile and a half. But Atlanta's a quad oval with high tire wear and Las Vegas is a tri oval with variable banking and uh, lower tire wear. So certainly three, I would say, not exactly similar tracks. Obviously, the, you know, the restrictor plate at Daytona is very different. But uh, yeah, we, we definitely love a good deal. Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70 percent off. Dresses from 1999. Polos from 1699. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. I have some more information to go by now. Yeah, more information, basically same information. Kevin Harvick is awesome. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Kevin Harvick being awesome, we go to one of his best tracks this weekend as well. So the dominance may just continue. One thing that was crazy is uh, Kevin Harvick has already racked up with those two wins um, and some stage wins. He already's racked up 13 playoff points. And I think he had only like, uh, was it eight playoff points or something all of last year in the regular season? So he's already surpassed that. And he made it to Homestead last year, so... Um, I don't know if he's a lock to go to Homestead this year, but uh, he's getting pretty close to a lock as you can be this early in the season, especially if he you know, wins Phoenix this weekend. That's at least uh, 18 playoff points he'll have going into the playoffs. Yeah, pretty incredible performance. Uh, let's talk about it. The Pennzoil 400. Uh, Kevin Harvick two weeks in a row, total domination. Uh, the race had not much passing toward the front, uh, and there were a few cautions. So you were actually at the race. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the race from your perspective and then uh, what you make of the cup series so far. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the race was kind of overall, I guess, kind of boring. You could say um, there wasn't a ton of passing throughout, especially the front portion of the field. There was a lot more in the back, especially on some restarts, but nobody really seemed to have uh, any kind of major issues up until the very end. Jamie McMurray uh, hit the outside wall. And then um, at the one of the, the restart right after McMurray, 
Uh, Kurt Busch didn't see that Chase Elliott was outside of him and they got together. But those were really the only two incidents. It was a very incident-free race. And I suspect we'll see probably a lot of incidents. I wouldn't say incident-free races, but, uh, you know, the drivers keep getting better and better each year. Um, and, you know, they, they get better and better handle on these cars every year they drive. So I think uh, you know, more reliability as well. So, you know, maybe the number of cautions will go down this year. I'm not totally sure. But uh, we did a show at the beginning of the year, which, you know, kind of talked about there was a slight, slight increase in cautions if you didn't account for the stages. But uh, overall, the stages were the big reason for, for many of the cautions. So I think we'll see that again. As far as the race itself, you know, Harvick pretty much dominated. There was a couple times where some other guys got out front, um, like Joey Logano got out front and led for a little bit because of pit stops and things like that. One of the things we should note is it does seem Joey Logano is a little bit, you know, kind of back uh, to where he was prior to the second half of last season. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think that the Fords <laughs> looked super strong. I mean, at one point they were running one, two, three, four again with with Harvick, the two in the three Penske cars right there. I mean, Paul Menard uh, also in a Ford pulled off a very nice finish. I uh, finished ninth place. So um, just one of those days where, uh, you know, I think it was a Ford kind of weekend and the Toyotas maybe played second fiddle, although. Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. did both finish second and fourth, and Kyle Larson and the Chevy finished third. Uh, it, it's kind of weird that it ended up that way because it really was a four-dominant weekend. Beyond that, you can see after the first four, uh, fifth, sixth, and seventh were the three Penske drivers there. So um, kind of a boring race, and Ford is very strong, and then I think Toyota's next, and then probably Chevy. Okay, so uh, continuing to look back at Vegas, uh, from a DFS perspective, what can we take away from it, given that this was the first uh, mile-and-a-half track with low tire wear for the season? Yeah, I think I really think the big takeaway is the Chevys are still struggling. Um, outside of Kyle Larson, who we saw had very good practice times, you know, Chase Elliott kind of hung around in the top ten, but he fell back from his sixth-place starting position uh, and then eventually, of course, got caught up in that incident with Kurt Busch. And aside from that, there weren't really any Chevys that threatened the top 10 whatsoever. Jimmy Johnson struggled to a 12th place finish. Um, you know, I think uh, Ryan Newman did okay at times. Jimmy McMurray was good until he crashed, but like they're just kind of okay. They're not like great this year. Uh, so the Chevys are behind, um, and I think uh, they still need to get a handle on the car and still need to keep working on it. We'll see if it changes going to mile track this week at Phoenix versus you know mile and a half where aerodynamics come a lot more into play, but. Uh, Atlanta, where you know aerodynamics don't quite come as much into play. I mean, they obviously still do its mile and a half track, but there was a lot of high tire wear. Uh, other things come into play as well. But Phoenix could be a totally different beast from all of those. And then after Phoenix, we go to Auto Club, and then after Auto Club, we go to Martinsville. A bunch of different tracks to kick off the season. I really think we'll get the best grasp on the Chevys, you know, through the end of this opening stint before we go on that break after Martinsville, that one week break. But uh, right now, you definitely, I think the big takeaway is the Chevys are behind. Uh, even if they look competitive in terms of speed and uh, in practice, so for example, Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick look very competitive in practice on the 10 lap, um, 15 lap, 20 lap. But Larson didn't have anything for Harvick, even though their you know, times were similar and Larson actually had the better time than Harvick on 10 lap average. Um, I still think that the Fords just race better right now than probably Toyota second. So. Uh, definitely some work to do for the Chevy stable and we'll see if they can get it done this weekend at Phoenix. All right. Uh, looking at this from a sports betting perspective, you had the NASCAR article at the action network this last weekend, uh, considering that you didn't have Harvick, it went about as well as it could have, but, uh, talk about the, the bets that you had in the article. 
Yeah, this is the second week in a row where uh, you know I didn't pick Harvick just because his his odds are so short. Uh, he was 3.25 to one uh, or plus 3.25 on five dimes. Um, so that's just so short. Whereas Kyle Larson, he was plus 400 on five dimes. And given that their practice times were so comparable, as I was talking about over the 10, 15, 20 laps, I thought it made sense, a little more sense to go with Larson, um, especially, you know, just given the fact that he had the, the longer odds there versus Kevin Harvick. And what I recommended with Larson was maybe parlay him with a, a head-to-head or uh, a finishing position prop. I think one of the easiest props on the board was the Clint Boyer one that, you know, you said over 10 and a half on the Action Network article that you wrote and uh, finished 18th, really struggled all day. Um, so I think, you know, parlaying Harvick or Larson with, with a prop like that is a, is a good thing to do instead of just taking it at, you know, three and a half or three and a quarter or four to one. Um, so when it's really short like that, I like to parlay it with a, a finishing or a head-to-head type prop. The other three drivers, will Chase Elliott wrecked out and he struggled anyway, but he was plus 1350. So, um, you know, I don't really hate him at those odds, especially if the Chevys did make a leap forward this weekend, as we thought they might have in, given the final two practices. It turned out they didn't. And then from there, the other two guys I picked, Kyle Busch at 8-1. to one. He finished second, uh, and he was gaining on Harvick at the end. Uh, and I think that goes to something that I'll, I'll talk about in a second. And then also Martin Truex Jr. at 6.5-1 to one, uh, that I picked there. He also just was, of course, um, a guy you want to be choosing when you're looking at his mile-and-a-half history. And his average finish is 2.4. So um, obviously, again, had something happened to Harvick, Kyle Busch was right there. Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr. finished second, third, and fourth. The, the three drivers other than Chase Elliott that I picked uh, in my article there. The thing with Kyle Busch that I thought was really cool is it kind of did play out the way I got um, some of this uh, tips on how he was running turns one and two. He was really able to run any line. It didn't matter if the weather changed. That was actually a good thing because it meant his car got stronger as other cars got weaker because he was consistent on any line. And when the weather changes, uh, you may want to move up the track. You may want to move down the track, depending on how the weather is changing. And at the end of the race, it was getting warmer. And all of a sudden, a cloud rolled in, a huge cloud rolled in. Uh, and then it got warmer again right towards the very end of the race. And I'm sure part of that is why Kyle Busch was able to catch Kevin Harvick there at the end was uh, not catch, obviously, but gain ground on Kevin Harvick was just that uh, ability to have a much more consistent car throughout different weather types and different racing lines. Uh, so that's why I really like Kyle Busch at eight to one. And uh, he almost pulled it off for us there. Yeah. Uh, for my piece, uh, you know, I once again went with a true exit, you know, positive odds over Harvick. Uh, I'm basically just going to keep on doing it. Just go back to the well. So if everyone wants to pile up on the other side and bet against me, you're bound to have a winner on your hands basically every time. But uh, other than that, felt pretty good about the outcome there. So, yeah, you know, not a horrible week of NASCAR sports betting. No, nah, not at all. Uh, okay. Obviously, we have more to get to. But before that, I need to remind everyone that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Uh, okay, Nick, talk about the winning lineup uh, in the Beast GPP from Sunday's DraftKings slate. Yeah, it was uh, it was actually a very interesting lineup because it was pretty chalky except two relatively contrarian drivers. So most people went with a cash game lineup of Chris Buescher at $5,700, Ryan Newman at $7,100, Eric Almirola at $7,700. Kevin Harvick at uh, 10,300. I believe I got all those dollar numbers right. 
And then the other two drivers they went with were uh, Ryan Blaney and Martin Truex Jr. to kind of fill out the lineup there. Well, if you pivoted off of Ryan Blaney and Martin Truex Jr., you ended up with the winning lineup. So four of the six in the main cash game lineup were in the winning lineup, but there were two contrarian plays, and I highlighted both of these extensively uh, as the weekend kind of went on. Um, so, you know, there isn't a whole lot to talk about with Harvick. Obviously, he dominated. Um, Eric Almirola started 29th, finished 10th. He was a no-brainer pick. Ryan Newman um, is a guy that I, I kind of liked getting away from in GPPs because Jamie McMurray uh, was also there. And um, who was the other one that started in the 20s? That was, oh, Eric Almirola, of course. Uh, so I kind of like getting away from Newman for McMurray. Had McMurray not crashed, he possibly uh, could have beat Newman there in the winning lineup. But uh, he was he was doing better than Newman until the crash um, but, uh, so I didn't mind that pivot off of Newman on McMurray, but Newman ended up in the winning lineup because obviously McMurray didn't. And, uh, Chris Busher, $5,700. We talked all week about how way too cheap that was. Um, and, uh, he started, what was it 28th and finished 15th. That's just a huge, massive amount of points. Uh, that's 29 points for finishing position plus 13 for place differentials, 42 points. And he picked up another two and a half points of fastest lap. So 44 and a half points for drivers, $5,700. I mean, usually we're talking Joe Dirt cheap drivers. We're excited if they get 25 points. And uh, Chris Buescher should not have been a Joe Dirt cheap driver. So that really left these other two names. And uh, I liked pivoting away from Blaney and GPPs. I talked about that. I thought he was fine for cash. But uh, there was enough warning signs to get away from him in GPPs. And uh, if you did that and went to Eric Jones... Uh, he's a driver I really came around to towards the end of the weekend, uh, was less than 10% owned, ended up with a winning lineup. And then Kyle Busch, we talked about just the uh, fact that he was going to be low owned when you've got Kevin Harvick right there. You've got Martin Truex Jr. right there. You've got Blaney who absorbed a bunch of ownership percentage. Um, you've got you know, Denny Hamlin started 19th, was going to absorb some ownership percentage. So uh, there was a bunch of names. Brad Keselowski was going to get some ownership. There was a lot of drivers. Jimmy Johnson you know, uh, possibly could have gotten some there as well. He didn't get highly ownership. But uh, there were a lot of names that could have had high ownership, and that could have left Kyle Busch under the radar, um, especially looking at you know the final practice times. Kyle Busch was a little under the radar. I figured he'd be pretty low owned, relatively speaking, and he was under 30% owned. And I kept talking about him uh, on Road of His Live. I wrote him up in the article uh, for Action Network, as you mentioned, with the bets that uh, eight to one was a very good price for him to win. Uh, if you looked at his you know his 12 most comparable drivers on the road of his sim scores five of them won the race so uh he he almost won the race himself so i think it was a very good comparison there for kyle bush and was really one of the key plays along with eric jones who was under 10 percent owned so if you made those two pivots you ended up with the winning lineup and uh, those were two drivers that i recommended heavily as the week went on road of his live and then tweeting out you know from the track while i was tailgating uh, on sunday morning as well can you talk a little bit more about Eric Jones? Uh, what was your process there? What was it that uh, made you identify him as someone who provided a lot of value? Yeah, so with Eric Jones, he started ninth, um, finished eighth. But in terms of the process that led me to Eric Jones, remember earlier in the week I talked a little bit about Eric Jones as well, how I liked him compared to Jimmy Johnson, because if you look at the mile and a half uh, history or large oval history from the second half of last year, Eric Jones really shined. He was better than Jimmy Johnson. He was right up there with some other names like Kurt Busch and Jamie McMurray, uh, who were, were you know definitely very good names as well, especially Jamie McMurray starting further back. 
So I did like uh, Eric Jones as a DFS play, and um, you know I, I even mentioned him on the on the podcast we did on Friday that yeah he qualified a little far forward starting ninth, but uh, he was still a good play. But what really led me to him is if we go to like if we go to practice three, the final practice there, uh, Eric Jones was way down there one two three four five six seven eighth in the ten lap average, and he went early in the session. So um, you know people were probably considering around the ninth or tenth, maybe eleventh. 12th best driver somewhere in that range if you give credit to the guys like Logano, Johnson, Ryan Blaney who went out later in the session and we're going to be slower anyway because they went out later but uh, you know people probably were discounting Eric Jones you look at the models projected ownership of him it was pretty low around 10% I figured it'd be lower and then you go look at uh, make sure again to watch practice because it's so important because sometimes they give out 15 lap average sometimes they give out 20 lap average Eric Jones had the second fastest car. I think it was on the 20 lap average. Uh, so that, you know, faster than Kyle Larson, who was third there. So I knew he had a good car on a long run. And if he could just be consistent, had that mile and a half history, uh, I really, really wanted to get some exposure to him. He was just going to be way too low owned for the possibility, you know, he finished inside the top eight like he did. Um, he also gets some fastest laps because he's a pretty aggressive driver. And as a result, he picked up 15 fastest laps throughout the race. So even though he only gained one position on the track, you know, starting ninth, finishing eighth for a place differential of one, uh, he, sorry, 13 fastest laps. That's another six and a half points right there. And that's what was enough to elevate him into the winning lineup over Ryan Blaney, who, um, you know, only had 12 fastest laps himself and one lap led. He only led the opening lap, did Ryan Blaney. Uh, so he actually had fewer dominator points by a quarter point than Eric Jones. And because he started first and finished fifth, he got negative place differential. So um, even though he finished higher than Eric Jones, he actually ended up with one and a half or one and a quarter, I think it was, fewer points than Eric Jones. So, um, you know, two guys I heavily recommended, Kyle Busch and Eric Jones, uh, were great plays this weekend. Okay. You mentioned the Chevys. Uh, and how, yet again, they seemed inferior to the Fords and the Toyotas. So we are three races into the season. Uh, it seems like this is an exploitable trend, but obviously it's still a small sample. How do you think we should, uh, I guess, re, uh, position our, our DFS portfolios in relation to the Chevys moving forward? Yeah, um, it's it's going to be tricky, I guess, because obviously they're going to continue to learn more things. Um, they're going to continue to improve their car. We know GM and uh, Hendrick and, and Ganassi and Childress and all these these teams are very very hardworking teams. Uh, as is you know Chevy as a manufacturer, so they are going to find things. They are going to catch up more and more. But of course the Toyotas and Fords are also working. They can improve their cars. So the question is how big of gains can they make? Uh, the other question is what will they do at a mile and a half track or sorry a mile track this weekend at Phoenix where you know, mechanical grip is a lot more important and getting on and off the throttle and things like that. Um, it's a little bit closer to a mile track, mile and a half track than some of the other uh, mile ovals like New Hampshire, for example, is even flatter and has 180 degree turns instead of being more trioval shaped. So I think probably this weekend there's still advantage to not going crazy on the Chevys right now. Um, that said, flat tracks are a little bit different beast in general compared to mile and a halfs because uh, flat tracks require a little bit different skill set in terms of driving. This one, again, is closer to the mile and a half than all the other flat tracks like Martinsville, uh, New Hampshire, uh, and Richmond. But, uh, you know, I think um, there will still be some differences. So you could see certain Chevy drivers shine. But overall, I think the Chevys probably will still be a little bit behind this weekend. Uh, and so, 
yeah, I think uh, unless you find a couple of Chevy drivers who are just excel at Phoenix and excel at this track type, uh, you probably want to kind of stay away from the Chevys unless, of course, DraftKings really adjusts the prices for, for these drivers as well because we don't have pricing out yet. Okay, let's talk about Phoenix. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, ISM Raceway, as it is now known, uh, it is a one-mile tri-oval. Talk a bit about the racing that we normally see at Phoenix. Yeah, so uh, Phoenix, of course, now it's called ISM Raceway, but uh, they'll be undergoing some configuration changes. So this will be the last time I race on the old configuration. But uh, it's a one-mile, as you mentioned, one-mile tri-oval kind of races a little bit more like a mile and a half than the other flat tracks. They're the short flat tracks of New Hampshire, uh, um, Richmond, and then Martinsville. Uh, and that's because it's it's first of all it's a mile long, so the other tracks are all shorter. And second of all, it does have more banking than those other tracks, so it's it's closer to the mile and a half, like I said, uh, than uh, in the Chevy section there than uh, the other ones. But it still is a track position track. It's still a flat track. Track position becomes very important. Um, you know, there's kind of the cool thing in the dog leg there on the back stretch where you can kind of dive bomb your your opponent and, and take the car all the way down to the inside. And uh, occasionally you see some crazy wrecks there, but by and large you don't. Uh, track position is so important. If you get a lap down or multiple laps down, not a good thing at Phoenix, whereas in other tracks it may be a little bit easier to make it up because uh, it's so much harder to pass at Phoenix than at some other tracks. Also, strategy comes into play less here, so it's a very predictable race. If you talk about the predictability of the model, uh, Phoenix is one of the highest tracks on the circuit in terms of predictability. So the model will be very important this weekend um, in terms of you know predicting the race outcome at Phoenix. Good good week for cash games uh, as far as GPPs. You know maybe you want to stick a little closer to the vest, uh, but of course there's always value to be found in contrarian plays that are too low owned like uh kyle bush was this past weekend and like eric jones was this past weekend so there's always value to contrarian plays but by and large it's a track position track hard to pass at and uh, because it's a flat track you know certain drivers do end up standing out as we talked about you know there are drivers like kevin harvick who stands out here and, and danny hamlin stand out at flat tracks for example so uh there will be drivers that that will shine at phoenix Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about some of the drivers in a minute. Before that, uh, let's talk about some of the key statistics that you are looking at to gauge driver performance. Sure. So um, a couple of the things that are very important. I mentioned you know, how track position is highly important. Well, starting position actually goes into the model for this particular race. It didn't go into the model at Atlanta, didn't go into the model at Vegas, um, but uh, it does go into the model here, starting position, absolutely an important factor to finishing position at Phoenix. Um, the 10-lap average, of course, very imp- important as well. Uh, there aren't a ton of cautions or crashes here, so we do get some long runs, and so um, looking at long run speed, also highly important. And because it's a mile track, what we're going to see is we're going to get drivers doing 20, 25, 30-lap runs. If they post that on TV Make sure you pay attention to that data, um, to, you know, the, the 15, 20, 25, 30 lap averages if they do show that in final practice because uh, that is going to be very important as well. That will judge really long speed, and we know uh, drivers like Kevin Harvick love really long speed. Uh, the other things that are important, flat driver rating, um, so driver rating at the flat tracks. Um, if you even want to narrow it down a little more specifically to the shorter flat tracks, that's fine, but in general also pulling in uh, – Pocono and Indianapolis actually helps predictability just a slight bit. So just looking at flat track driver rating in general, um, track type finish. So how do you, how well do you finish at flat tracks? 
I think that's just kind of important because, uh, you know, some drivers are better than others at flat tracks. Maybe you burn the brakes off and you're more more prone to blowing a tire. Or maybe you're just not as good at uh, gaining position since you have to fight harder and you battle with other drivers and, and wreck more um, by battling harder. So I think the finishing position is, isn't as much about driver rating, but also how many times are you DF- DNFing or not. Uh, and then finally, uh, and I shouldn't say this is the least important, but what have you done for me lately in the last 18 or so races? And that's because... Um, you know, obviously we're at the start of the season, so we do want to dip back into last year. And then when we go Phoenix later in the season, we want to say, well, what have you done lately for me currently in the season? So I also have a variable that splits it out by spring and fall. Uh, but by and large, it doesn't really change between spring and fall, these variables. So, um, you know, you do want to pull in the last 18 or so races, the driver rating from those races as well. Okay. The top tier drivers, you mentioned Harvick earlier in Hamlin. Uh, maybe in addition to those guys, who are the drivers uh, that, based on the statistics you just mentioned, you think could do well at Phoenix? Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, if we if we kind of narrow it down to the flat tracks, because um, that's kind of the place we want to start and look at flat track average finishing position, Brad Keselowski is right up there, um, the best average finishing position over the last eight flat track races with a finish of 7.0. Um, also, you know, we want to look at, um, driver rating and Brad Keselowski's right up there in driver rating as well with the third best driver rating. Um, we know over the last 18 races has been pretty good. He you know, got top five finish this past weekend. So Brad Keselowski is another name that I'd look at as kind of a contender, uh, depending on Truex's price, he could be a contender as well. Um, he has the second best flat track driver rating. Uh, his finishes haven't been quite as good. Uh, so we'll have to see about that. But if he's priced too high, he's actually a driver I don't mind getting away from, although he has led 20% of the laps at the last several flat track races. Um, I did mention Denny Hamlin. He's had a lot of laps led. And then Kyle Busch as well. Uh, he's led 40% of the laps over the last eight flat track races, an average of 40% of the laps led per race. So Kyle Busch, another name we should be concerned with. And he actually is the highest driver rating in the last eight flat tracks. We know how good he's been lately as well. So if you maybe you want to pick a Ford, it's probably Brad Keselowski aside from Kevin Harvick. And if you want to pick a Toyota, it's actually give me Kyle Busch over Martin Truex Jr. Uh, and then uh, also over probably over Denny Hamlin at Phoenix. Hamlin, a little more tailored for, for tracks like Martinsville. He's been pretty good at Phoenix in the past. Out of the mid-tier drivers, uh, who are the guys catching your eye? Yeah, uh, so we can go right back to the Eric Jones well. Uh, 92 driver rating at the flat tracks. He's actually led almost 3% of the laps. Um, of course, some of that comes from strategy at Pocono, so don't overweight that. But there's another driver right behind Eric Jones, Clint Boyer, 89.2 driver rating, uh, average finish of 13.5 at the flat tracks. That's good enough for uh, ninth best average finish position. I should say ninth best driver rating, and then uh, it's actually good enough for one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh best finishing position on average over the last eight flat track races. So uh, both Clint Boyer and Eric Jones are great. Also, Ryan Newman is very good at finishing these races. His driver rating, his average running position, not as good. Um, But if you want to take a shot with Ryan Newman, of course, he is the defending uh, champion at Phoenix for the spring race. Uh, Obviously, that strategy call early in the season at Phoenix last year. But uh, by and large, you know, Ryan Newman, not quite as good in terms of average running position, but certainly good in average finish. So he knows how to finish these flat track races. 
Okay, you mentioned Truex is someone maybe to fade a little bit, just depending on his salary. Uh, who are some of the drivers you're pretty much looking to avoid? Yeah, um, drivers I'm looking to avoid, I'd probably uh, avoid... Oh, I'd probably avoid Austin Dillon, only a 67.6 driver rating compared to other drivers in his price range. Ryan Newman, a lot better. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., a lot better. Jamie McMurray, a lot better. Uh, so I would probably avoid Austin Dillon. Also doesn't have as good average finish as either of these guys. You go to the expensive tier, Jimmy Johnson, um, not another name that you kind of want to avoid here at these flat tracks. Average driver rating of 77.7 over the last eight flats and an average finish of only 22.6. We've seen the Chevy struggles. So unless he gets a drastic cut in price, Jimmy Johnson is another name that you're going to want to avoid, uh, or sorry, is a name you're going to avoid again for the second week in a row here. Um, it's not been, not been very good for Jimmy Johnson lately at the flat tracks and also at the mile and a half. So, um, you know, really you're probably playing him at most of the steep tracks and then maybe some of the more oddball tracks like Martinsville is probably okay, even though, uh, it's a flat track just because of a different kind of flat track. Uh, maybe some of the, uh, uh I said the steep tracks, the restricted plates, of course, and, and, uh, possibly the road courses, but Jimmy Johnson right now, a guy you want to avoid at these flat tracks in general. So Jimmy Johnson, Austin Dillon, names I'd probably end up avoiding. Uh, and then, you know, you kind of look down further. Um, A.J. Allmendinger, we kind of think of him as a flat track driver, but really he's only a Martinsville driver. He only shines at Martinsville. The rest of the flat tracks, not very good. 51.3 driver rating. So probably a name you want to avoid if you're somebody who's uh, – going off of Almendinger being good at Martinsville and then applying that to all the flat tracks. Interesting stuff there. Uh, looking forward to the weekend. What is the content schedule like for this Phoenix race? Yep. Thankfully we have a, a normal weekend this weekend. So, uh, you know, if you go to the, the weekend schedule there, you've got qualifying on Friday. Um, so first practice, of course, um, during the day on Friday and then 5:15 Eastern is qualifying. Um, even though it's a Pacific time race, it's, it's 5:15 Eastern. So 2:15 Pacific is qualifying Saturday. Uh, second practice is at 9 a.m. Pacific noon Eastern. Um, and then final practice is at 2:30 Eastern, uh, 11:30 Pacific. So it'll end about 12:30 Pacific. I'll get right to work on the article and the model, uh, updating the apps, and then uh, I will do the um, probably take a little bit of a dinner break and then do the betting article for the Action Network. And then Road of His Live will be three hours before lineups lock. Yes, three hours before lineups lock. We're going to the three hour thing this year. So the race is at 3:30 p.m. on Sunday, uh, which is Eastern time. So that's 12:30 Pacific. So lineup, uh, sorry, Road of His Live will be at 9:30 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, and that is 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I like to, of course, think of it on Pacific time because I'm on the West Coast. All right. Uh, anything else to add that we should look forward to? Um, just, you know, make sure to make sure to check out Road of His Live. I can't stress enough how important it is because I write the article and you only catch three drivers uh, per cash game, three drivers for GPP, uh, maybe a fade or two. Um, but there are obviously more than just six drivers that you can play, three in cash and three in GPP. And I talked about some of those other names extensively this past weekend. So if you caught Kyle Busch, if you caught uh, the Action Network article and you saw I was excited about Kyle Busch, I wrote up why. Make sure you watch Road of His Live to see why I was excited about Kyle Busch uh, or Eric Jones. Those are all things you definitely want to not miss out on. So don't just rely on the article. Make sure you catch everything that we offer here at Road of His 
Uh, and uh, yeah, that's about all I got. All right. That's going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.